Hey Puck Timers, how's it going? Sorry, it's been a little while. Hope you didn't forget me. Don't worry, I didn't forget you. Just been a crazy last little while. But now that things have settled down, I can get back to Puck Time. So firstly, I hope everyone had a great holiday season. Happy New Year to you all and your families as well. It's only been a couple weeks since New Year's. Can you believe it? It kind of feels like it's been a long time. But uh, now it's only been a couple weeks, so I just thought I know I'm a little late. But uh, Happy New Year's to you guys. Hope you had uh, a great holiday. And, um, you know, I know work and school is back on for most of us. And just trying to trek on through to the next long weekend. Without further ado, let's jump right in. I would like to start with the Pittsburgh Penguins. My goodness, this team just does an amazing job with scoring and playing so well when their key players are out. Malkin just turns it up crazy when Crosby's hurt. Gensel is another guy who's, I think, one of the most underrated players in the NHL. He's a crazy goal scorer and the guy's got skill. You know, Gensel's out for a long time, which sucks for them. They lost Crosby on November 9th, and without him, Pittsburgh went 18-6-4. In that span, Malkin had 11 goals, 25 assists, and 36 points in 25 games. That's crazy. Malkin literally goes into beast mode, or as he says, I go on fire. In his career, Malkin has 77 goals, 119 assists, and 196 points in 145 games without Crosby there. So he knows how to step up. Tristan Jari has been another big reason why Pittsburgh has been able to stay in the playoff hunt. I think this kid's the next starter. I don't think they re-signed Murray after this summer. I mean, and that's just because of his injuries and his inconsistent play. Like, he'll be rock solid one game and then the next game he'll kind of go back to being subpar and he'll make that crazy save but then two games later he'll sneeze and get injured and boom now he's out for you know a couple weeks couple months you know I don't think they re-sign him I wouldn't I'd stick with Jari I think this kid is unreal man he's really carried that team so Pittsburgh's done really spectacular without Crosby and you know he comes back and I think he scored two points in his first game and he scored a beauty of a goal like he he's back to himself the second thing I want to get into is the shootout and how awful it is I don't think it's a proper way to end a hockey game a lot of times people will say well it's because of timing but Sometimes shootouts can go much longer than an OT. For example, you get a six, seven, eight round shootout. You're getting up there with the timing. I just don't think it's a very accurate measure of, of how a, a hockey game should end. Then again, extending the OT also has its caveats too. If you extend it too far, I feel like you lose that fun aspect or the, not maybe not fun, but the no holds barred aspect of it. And as soon as you start getting to, you know, 10 minutes, now you're starting to think about, oh, okay, well, you know, this guy's played this much. And, you know, you get a little too strategic, less back and forth. You'll conserve energy a lot more than just going for it, right? I did like Dave Tippett using his timeout uh, when the Coyotes played the Oilers. He used his timeout to give Dreisaitl and McDavid some rest. They were on fire that game and no problem with using that timeout. I mean, you know, the game's almost over. You might as well use it at some point. Uh, so I thought that was really cool. I'd love to hear what you guys think about it. I would love to see them pilot a six-minute overtime. Still keeps it red relatively short, but it gives you that extra minute. I do think they should maybe look at making the penalties one minute. I'm not too sure about how I feel about that, but 
it would add to the wow factor. So I'd like to get into the Norris Trophy and who the kind of front runners are for it. I think hands down everyone kind of is in agreement that John Carlson of the Washington Capitals is the clear front runner. He has had an unreal season. In 49 games, he has 13 goals, 47 assists for 60 points. Like he's been lighting it up. But a case can be made for Shea Weber, even though his point totals aren't great. I think he's having a lights out year on a team where everyone is hurt. Montreal probably has, I want to say, mo- the most man games hurt this season. It's been a crazy season for in- injuries, I feel. I think everyone's just getting hurt all over the place. But Montreal's really taken a beating, and I think he's done a stellar job of keeping the ship semi steady and especially helping the rookies that have come up. I really like Kale Flurry there. I love the way he plays. He's a physical defenseman. I feel that that aspect of the game is kind of lost and I kind of appreciate that that you know he can be that big guy who plays big and you know he's very skilled as well definitely Shea Weber is in the conversation uh Victor Hedman I know Tampa had a slow start but man they came on strong and you know they're second in the division they're going to challenge uh Boston for top seed for sure he has 41 points in 47 games so there's a case to be made for him Roman Yossi is having a lights out year in Nashville He has 48 points in 47 games. He's been unreal. So I think my winner right now is Carlson, but I think second would be Weber and then Yossi or Yossi and then Weber. I can't really pick. Um, I think it's, you know, one of those two. Or I mean, even you could look at Jacob Slavin, who's having a really good year. He's not much of a point getter, but he's really stepped up, especially when... Dougie Hamilton's been hurt, and Slavin's so rock-solid defensively. It's crazy. Like That guy is underrated and very skilled. Carolina has him on a wicked contract. I think it's $5.5 million for the next seven years or something like that. It's crazy. They have him on a really good contract, so that's going to be key for them in the future. Okay, so sticking with the trophies, we could go to the Hart Trophy. I guess the main question, and I'd love to hear what you guys think about this one as well, is can a great player on a bad team still get it? So a lot of flack was given for when Hall won it two years ago and McDavid didn't win it, even though McDavid's point totals were higher. But McDavid was on the Oilers who didn't make the playoffs and New Jersey did make the playoffs that year. So I think a player could definitely make it that's not in the playoffs or a a player could definitely win it even if their team isn't in the playoffs. I don't think that should be the criteria. There's quite a few candidates. Love to hear who you guys think would win it. You could make arguments for Darcy Kemper of the Coyotes before it unfortunately went down with injury. He was having an amazing year, still in the Vesna conversation, and he should be back after the All-Star break so really hope uh, he comes back and continues his stellar play because boy do the coyotes need him they're a slip in without him and ranta was hurt too and that really affected them too but they definitely could use him back but he is in the conversation he has been the he's been the player that's got the coyotes in the playoffs and kept them in that conversation Artemi Panarin of the Rangers, he has 68 points in 47 games. He's having a lights out year and he's a guy that just signed that huge contract to be there and he is definitely giving them their money's worth, that's for sure. Austin Matthews of the Leafs, in 49 games he has 57 points and 34 goals. So he has a champagne goals for this year. He had a hat-trick against the Devils last week. His second career one, believe it or not. He's had so many, I think he's had something like 18 two-point games but he's never scored a hat-trick other than his first game 
So that's pretty funny. But uh, yeah, he did get a hat-trick, uh, his second career hat-trick last week, a couple weeks ago. So he's definitely in that conversation. If not the heart, then at least the Rocket Richard. He pulled within a goal of Pasternak. But Pasternak then got a hat-trick the next games, of course, right? But in 50 games, Pasternak, our next candidate, has 70 points and 37 goals in that span. He's definitely had an amazing year. That Boston top line seems almost unstoppable again. McKinnon, who has 72 points in 49 games, like he has to be a clear front-runner. McDavid with 76 points and Dreisaitl with 75 points in 49 games. Now, if Dreisaitl did win it, I feel like there'd always be that, oh, well, he was McDavid's line mate for most of that time. I think just recently they've split him up, but I mean, there'd always kind of be that asterisk, right, of he won it on McDavid's back. But then again, couldn't you argue the same for Pasternak and how he's depended on Bergeron and Marchand for getting his point totals? Maybe that comes into play. If you look at like his line mates compared to Panarin or Matt, Panarin's center for a long time was Zabinajad was injured was Ryan Strom. He stepped in pretty well, but Ryan Strom is no Patrice Bergeron, right? Jack Eichel of the Buffalo Sabres. He has 62 points in 48 games. He's having a lights-out year over there. Um, and in Buffalo, where everyone's kind of meh, he is literally carrying that team on his back, and he's having a hell of a year. Jonathan Huberdeau of the Florida Panthers, even though they're not getting the goaltending, they are getting the points. He has 65 in 49 games, and there's a conversation to be made. I don't think he's in the top three in voting, but... You know, he, he is in the conversation. If it's up to me, I'm probably saying my first vote goes to McKinnon, second to Panarin, and third to McDavid, and probably fourth to Eichel. Okay, so the lacrosse goal or the Michigan goal, I'd love to know what you guys call it, but uh, I'm going to stick with lacrosse goal because I like that better. I feel like that's the new floss. You know, it only took one player to kind of successfully do it, and now everyone's been, you know, kind of all over it. It only took one player to successfully do it, and now, you know, you see more people trying it. Uh, thank you, Mr. Svechnikov. I mean, players have tried it before. I know Forsberg, Matthews, they've tried it before, but never been successful. But now that Svechnikov has, and in fact done it twice, like more players are even trying it. Like now, when players do go behind the net, they are a threat now, whereas before they weren't. And then you look at Forsberg's successful attempt, and he was going full speed, so you know, how do you even defend that? It was kind of... Uh, it was amazing to see. But look at the between the legs goal. I remember Tomas Hurdle did it in a game against the Rangers where he scored, I think, four goals that game. And one of that one was through the legs. And I think that was like the first time where I kind of mainly saw it and it was all over the, and rightly so, it was all over the highlights and everything. But after that, you know, it started becoming more common. If you look at the Kucherov no move in the shootout, that's become a kind of staple around the game. I know two Leafs tried it. In fact, in a shootout, in the same shootout, actually, it was like a 10-round shootout, and two Leafs tried it, which is kind of, you know, not what you'd probably want to see, but it's kind of cool. And I feel like moves like that, and even in the minor leagues, and even in, like, with kids, you know, you probably see a lot of kids trying moves like that now that they've seen it. I would like to shift our focus now to the divisions, where I feel like the Atlantic will be a battle between four teams, uh, Tampa, Boston, Toronto, and Florida. I think that Montreal's hopes are done. The wild card will be two Metro teams for sure. 
Um, shout out to the Jackets for not being in the dumpster of the league like everyone thought they would. But it'll be a definite battle between first and second for Tampa and Boston. And third will be between Toronto and Florida. And Toronto dropped that doozy, which was like 8-4 to the Florida Panthers. That game was awful. Florida showed up and Toronto just didn't. And Arizona similarly dropped a game against the Oilers where they lost 7-3. They just didn't show up. Like Florida and Oilers both showed up in those divisional matchups, which is so key because Oilers won that game and they kicked Arizona out of the playoffs and Florida overtook Toronto in that game as well that they'd won. So those are key matchups and those are ones that you, you know, you at least have to show up for. Um, both teams like Arizona and Toronto both looked really bad in those two games hopefully they can bounce back especially after for the all-star break the Pacific is a gong show if you win a game you're in first and if you lose suddenly you're out of the playoffs just like Arizona did the wild card in the west will be Pacific for both spots I don't think Winnipeg or Chicago or Nashville makes the playoffs this year Winnipeg has gone on a recent skid and I just feel like Bufflin's really screwed them up this year and honestly needs to tell them that hey I won't be back this season because they need to know what they can do. I think he's really kind of handcuffed them and that's really hurt them a lot. For the first time ever we've seen a Vancouver Edmonton Calgary as first second and third in the Pacific Division. That's pretty crazy. Vancouver's been great because of Markstrom. He's been rock solid this year. JT Miller has been amazing. They've got balanced scoring. I never realized how much a guy like Jay Beagle could make a difference, but he's been rock solid for them and winning face-offs, and I think he just brings that veteran presence that, that every team needs, especially a team with a lot of rookies. I feel like he's been uh, really good for them. Roussel's actually had a pretty good year, even though I don't like him, but he's been pretty good when he's not hurt. I would love to see an Edmonton-Calgary playoff round. That would be, I think, just amazing to see. And speaking of Edmonton-Calgary... Let's jump into that scandal segment with the true scandal of Cassian and Kachuk. Now, I know everyone's seen it already, but I would like to say that I was not a fan of Kachuk's actions at all. I thought it was gutless. I thought he shouldn't have turtled the way he did. Like, let's remember that Cassian is throwing him around like a ragdoll, and he is not a ragdoll. Like, he completely turtled just to get the penalty. I hated the play by him. Like, if you are going to go out of your way twice... To hit this guy. Now, they were clean hits, for sure. But he did go out of his way, hands down, to make those hits. Like, he purposely chased him. And if you're going to do that, especially to a guy like Cassian, Kachuk literally threw kerosene everywhere and then started lighting matches and throwing them all around and wondered why there's a fire. Like, no. You played with fire, you got to deal with that. Like, you're literally playing with a bull. You can't just wear all red and run around, right? Like, you gotta deal with that. So, I didn't like how he didn't fight. He should have fought him. I don't care that it's a trade-off. If you are literally gonna go out of your way to hit someone like that, you better stand up and fight when he comes after you, because you know he will. It's not like he's hitting Kyler Yamamoto, who's like 5'6", and probably won't go after him, but you're like, you're hitting Zach Cassian. I did like how the league only gave two games, so he will be back for that for that matchup on the 29th, so it's gonna be great to see that again. And I don't like how George Peros is gonna be there from the player safety. I don't like how they called the GMs and said, 
that, oh, hey, we have to make sure this stays calm. Like, no, no, you can't do that. The refs let that game get out of hand as soon as they didn't call anything on Kachuk. And I'm not saying don't call Cassian for what he did. I'm not saying that, that like, what his actions were right. But he is a guy that you know is going to stand up for himself. And he did hit an unwilling combatant, and that's not allowed. So he did deserve the two games he got. But the refs, as soon as that second hit should have come, they should have at least given a power play to Calgary. So you get them both off, and then you give that extra power play to Calgary. The fact that Kachuk didn't get anything for that second hit, like, if nothing, call charging. I don't even think they ever call that again, but call boarding, call charging, because he literally did go out of his way to make that hit. So I think you've got to call something and defuse it, and when you don't, stuff like that happen. And also, I do like the rivalry. Like, I'm going to enjoy that game. I think that's probably going to be one of the most watched games. It'll probably get more attention than the damn All-Star game. If you think about it, like, I think that's something that the game's missing now is some true rivalries. And I think that's why this is kind of good for the game in a way. Like, the Battle of Alberta has been kind of lackluster for many years now. Same with the Battle of Ontario. And now you have this spark that makes it good. And now the league is like, oh, no, 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 we can't have that. Like, come on, let them play. Let them, if it gets out of hand, yeah, definitely step in. But to me, if they're going to drop the gloves, let them drop it. If they want to resolve it that way, as long as they're not going around spearing and, you know, knee-on-knee hitting guys and playing cheap shots, like, as long as that's not happening, you're fine. Up next is the Leafs, a little more on them. Teams have called the Leafs saying, hey, do you want our defensemen? So I've heard of Martinez from LA's available, DeMello with Ottawa, Dylan from San Jose, Manson from Anaheim, Anaheim has come out and said that, hey, we have cap space and we're willing to take on bad contracts, but it's going to cost you some young assets. So I wonder how many teams will take them up on that. And, um, you know, that's something that Montreal could have been doing for years. Like, they've always had extra cap space, and I feel like they've never really used it. I honestly think it might be time to move on from Bergevin, but that's another story. Um, Goalies that are coming up, especially from Russia, we have... Ilya Samsonov has been the backup for Holpi, and he's been solid. One of the reasons that they might not resign Holpi. Igor Shestyorkin of New York, he was called out for two games. And, you know, he's a lights out goalie. I remember watching him and his partner Ilya Sorokin, who we'll get to in a second. But I remember watching them in the World Juniors a couple years ago now, or I guess quite a few years ago now. But they were both lights out. Like, this kid is amazing. Amazing glove hand. He was rock solid in his two games that he played. Definitely gives them that gives the Rangers the leeway that they can trade Georgiev. He's been attached to a lot of rumors with Toronto, but he is worth a lot. And I know the Rangers do want some NHL ready forwards. Toronto is a fit, but we'll see. And then Ilya Sorokin, who I just mentioned, he's an Islanders draft pick. He's going to come up and be absolutely rock solid for them too. Very skilled guys. Their numbers are insane in the KHL. Next, we have Nicholas Backstrom of the Capitals signing his extension. Um, I like how he did it without an agent. That's pretty cool. Doughty did the same, and I actually like that because, you know, when you do use an agent, they do take a pretty hefty cut. I like how he didn't, but, you know, not every player has the pedigree to do that, right? Like, you're Drew Doughty, you've won cups with the team, you've won the Norris, like, you know, you have that clout to do it. Backstrom has almost a 1,000 points, now over a 1,000 points. He's won the cup two years ago with the Capitals. He's almost assisted every goal Ovechkin goal. Like, they're a tandem, those two. Only, like, certain players like that can do it. Not everyone can go in there without him. 
And also you have to be older too, right? Like Mitch Marner couldn't have done it with his contract. Austin Matthews couldn't have done it. Like it's your first contract, I don't think you can. But when you think when you get to that age and you know you've been with the team long enough, I think you have that ability to do that. Another question with Washington will be will Hope be re-signed with the emergence of the aforementioned Samsonov? I don't even know if there's enough room to keep him. They have just over 10 mil next year, but Ovi's contract is coming up the year after, and he'll probably want a raise, or if maybe if not a raise, probably the same amount of money he's making right now. He's making nine and a half right now. And also, will the Capitals learn their lesson from Montreal and Florida, not giving the older goalies that are good? Definitely, but both of them gave $10 million, over $10 million to their respective goalies of Bobrovsky and Price, and they've been two of the worst goalies in the league this year. I don't think you should give an aging Holpe, especially when he's having such an up-and-down year. I mean, his playoff numbers are good, but his in-season numbers for the last three years are quite poor and are dropping. In 17-18, he played 54 games. He had a 2.99 GAA and a 907 save percentage. 18-19, he played 59 games. Had a 2.82 goals against average and a 9.11 save percentage. This season, he's played 33 games, has a 3.09 GAA and a save percentage of only 8.97. So I'm not saying he's a bad goalie, but he's definitely on a decline. If anything, I wouldn't sign him to more than three or four years, but he'll want at least five years. And unless he's willing to take a pay cut, I'm letting him walk. Samsonov is the future there. New Jersey and Vegas and what's happening there. So New Jersey fired their head coach, John Hines, which I think was a mistake. I thought he was a really good coach. Funny enough, he's now employed by Vegas. We'll get to that. And then Ray Shiro, their GM, was also fired. Assistant GM Tom Fitzgerald will serve as interim GM. I think that the management was done with Shiro. I think this is a lot of the owners getting involved. I don't like Shiro. I thought they were smart to let him go, but... They should have done it sooner. Like, why would you let him trade your franchise winger after the summer and all the acquisitions he made? But the team, like, went nowhere, and I don't think Shiro had an answer for it. Like, I think he was kind of just stuck that, oh, I threw my Hail Mary and thought it would work. Letting Hall go for that mediocre return, not addressing the goalie situation in the summer, even though there were candidates there, I think those all hurt him, and they need a new person at the helm. So will Fitzgerald be the answer? We will see, but I do believe that him and Nezardine will stay on as GM and head coach for the rest of the season there. Uh, Vegas was interesting because they threw out Gallant for DeBoer, and I don't think DeBoer is the answer. Gallant didn't have a bad record at all with Vegas. I mean, they were in the conference finals two or three years ago. What was it now? He's a really good coach. I know in Florida when he was fired there, the players really liked him. And, you know, it didn't really go over well with the players there. He's a popular guy. I think he's a smart hockey mind. So let's look at the numbers here. He has 109 and 93 points respectively in the last two seasons. And they went to the finals in the first season. And now, I don't think Vegas should have ever made it with that team when they did go to the finals. That was a one-off and would never happen again. But now on paper, they do have a good team. Uh, Decor's a little eh, but they do have a really good team up front and a really good goaltender. They're currently in a playoff wild card position. I don't think DeBoer's record is bad, but he's never won anything significant. DeBoer has only made the playoffs five times. Um, he's made the finals twice, lost in the third round, second round, and first round when they did make it. And the time they lost in the finals against the Pens, they lost in five games and honestly looked like they shouldn't even be there. So I don't think he's the answer. I'm not a big DeBoer fan.
Now back to New Jersey, I think they're going to be big-time sellers, especially after the season that they've had. Even though they added all those pieces in the summer and everyone thought they were going to be guaranteed contenders, it's all gone downhill. Players I think they're looking to shop would be Miles Wood, Sammy Vatanen, Wayne Simmons, purely because you could get value for him, especially from a team that's in the playoffs or looking to be in the playoffs, and they need some secondary scoring and a PP guy in front of the net. Uh, Andy Green's a maybe, but he is their captain, so I don't know if they'll move on from him or if there's any interest in him at all. And then P.K. Subban, of course. Now, New Jersey would have to eat at least a million five, two million, probably even three million of Subban's nine million dollar cap hit to make that deal. Especially, all most of the playoff teams are at the cap or very close to it. So I think they'd have to eat a significant amount. Now, I don't think they're going to eat a lot, but at least probably a third. The New York Islanders have been interested, and they're willing to give up picks and prospects because they really want to make that serious run. Moving wood is also hard because his cap hits $2.75 million for the next two years, which is a lot for a team to take on for a third-line slash fourth-line winger. But I do think they want to make these trades sooner rather than later because they do want to find a goalie. Like, Blackwood's skilled but not ready for the workload. And not with the team how they're playing in front of him. Like, you don't want him to get shelled like that. They already sent Schneider down to the AHL, and he came back up, but I don't think that with his injuries and all that, I just don't think he has the confidence anymore to play up here, and he's not what he used to. I never liked him. I always thought Vancouver should have stuck with Bobby Lou. But that's another story for another day. Thomas Shabbat of Ottawa leading the league in ice time with an average of 26 minutes and 27 seconds. In December, he logged 37 and a half minutes of ice time in a game, which is the second most in the NHL history during a regular season game. The crazy thing is that was the second half of a back-to-back. He played 22 and a half minutes the night before, so not exactly short, but against the Lightning, he didn't leave the ice. And then two days after that Tampa game, he played... 33 minutes and 49 seconds against Nashville, so he becomes the first player since Ryan Suter in 2013 to log over 71 minutes in the span of two games. Like, that's just crazy. Talk about quote-unquote load management, right? But, I mean, he is a young guy, and they really need him, I guess, to step up, so he's definitely stepping up. On January 14th, the Minnesota Wild were forced to play with five defensemen instead of six against the Pittsburgh Penguins because their coach, Bruce Boudreaux, left Greg Patteron off the game sheet. So Patteron got kicked off of the bench by the officials before the opening faceoff, and they ended up losing that game 7-3 because of a simple error. It's kind of funny. Minnesota plays honestly a really, really boring game. I honestly don't like their game at all. I used to like them a lot, but it's just kind of funny that they lost because not the only reason they lost, but I mean, it's never easy playing with five defensemen, especially when you have to start the game with five defensemen. So the entire game, it's not that easy. Columbus and the January that they've had wow this team has been something else so they've so they are 9-2-0 in January and they've won their last six games they've honestly looked really good this month they got Bjorkstrand back which really helped Corpusalo's out for a while but Elvis Mers Lincolns who's come in has a 926 save percentage and a 2.93 goals against average in 21 games this year he has those nine wins for them he's been honestly rock solid his two shutouts in that time like he has been everything they'd want and more now I think all the credit in the world has to be given to John Tortorella I thought his actions in the last little while and his demeanor that guy just man I love how he gets mad all the time he's so funny to watch especially in his post games but I think he has to be the front runner to win the Jack Adams he's been absolutely great this year 
I also love how Marshawn messed up the shootout against the Flyers and costed Boston the game. That was great to watch. I know it put a smile on my face and I'm sure every other fan of Toronto and most hockey fans in general love to watch that. It was great to watch on replay. Wes McCauley and his actions when the Kachuk brothers were playing each other. I love how, you know, with the family in the stands, he kicked out both face-off men off the opening draw and made Brady and Matthew take the draw against each other. I thought that was great. I honestly really like what he does for the game, and I like how he can have fun and bring out that side, especially with a job like his. It's not always easy. gets a lot of flack, but... I'm glad he has a relationship with the players and, you know, he can have fun and it gives the fans something to do too, right? Honestly, the officials get a lot of heat, but the fact that, you know, he can, you know, have fun with it and do stuff like that, I think I really like it. I do want to finish with the All-Star game and how it's a joke. So, it is the All-Star break, which is nice for the players. The news of Austin Matthews' injury came out. Now, I don't think it's a real injury, but I'm glad he's getting the rest. I wish that was Freddie and not Matthews. I'm more worried about him. Like, he needs all the rest he can get, and him playing in that joke of a game, I don't think it helps him at all. Like, I don't get why you'd want to be there. I'm not surprised a lot of players have tried to get out of it and have gotten out of it. I don't know why anyone would want to play in that. Like, to me, it's just a joke. No one takes it seriously. Even, like, the skills competition used to be a lot more fun, but even now, like, it's kind of a joke, and I don't really like it for the game. I think it kind of softens it a little too much. I want to see these guys going at it and having those rivalries. I did like what Dreisaitl said, that if he was on the ice at the same time as Kachuk, he'd get off. I really like that. Like, I'm glad he was sticking up for his teammate there. I just don't get how the All-Star game's anything good for the game. It's a cash grab for the NHL. That's about it. The Olympics are out of the question, and I understand that, because the NHL doesn't make money, and why would you want to give your quote-unquote employees out for free? Like, I understand that. That kind of makes sense. But, I mean, the OHL does give the young kids out to the World Juniors and stuff. So, I mean, if they can do that and those are the young future kids coming up, you could probably make an argument for why they should be at the Olympics. But, okay, fine. If you don't want to be at the Olympics, that the IOC is corrupt and, you know, the Olympics don't make any money for the NHL, okay, fine. Um, and then insurance and whatnot's a problem, okay, that's fine. But you're telling me another World Cup of Hockey wouldn't bring more money than an All-Star game? Are you kidding me? Like that World Cup of Hockey that we saw a couple of years ago, that was insane. We all wanted to see that Canada Team North America final or at least playoff game, but it didn't happen. I think the World Cup was a great success and me along with many other fans would love to see that over an All-Star game. Like I think even the players would much rather do that. I think a best-on-best -best tournament for your country, I think it means so much to the players. And the fact that, you know, we may never see Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews repping their own colors for their countries and playing against each other, I don't think that helps the game. I think it hinders it a lot. So the fact that for 2021, it's definitely out and now they're looking at 2023, I think, or 2024. I don't like that at all. I think you should look at having one next year or the year after for sure. Scrap the All-Star game. No one likes it. No one wants to go to it. Just don't do it. Like, it's not a good idea. Most of the players would rather the rest, and a lot of them have come out and said it. It's kind of a joke. You know, John Scott made it a couple years ago. Like, that was an absolute joke. I'm not surprised the league didn't like it. I hated it. Not a fan of that stuff. And it's just, honestly, I don't like it. But anyway, that's my views on it. And that's a wrap for episode two. I wanted to keep my return a little bit shorter. I want to thank you all for listening. I hope you all enjoyed. I would love to hear from you guys and let me know what you thought. 
send me a text or a tweet, as well as follow me on Twitter at, at Puckdime Podcast. If you have questions, please reach out. I want to start a segment on the podcast called Puck Time Question Time, where I answer questions from you guys. So please, anything at all you want answered, send them in. Hashtag Ask Puck Time. Hashtag Puck Time Question Time. Use any of those two and send your questions in. And remember to keep your eyes open and your ears peeled for our next episode. Thanks, guys, and have a great weekend.